0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Walking in the Light with me, Jason Burnside. Today's episode, answering God's call, my story. But before we get into it, let's begin with prayer. Father God, I just thank you, Lord, once again for this opportunity. Jesus, I pray that you just guide everything that I say. Lord, Holy Spirit, just be in this room with me, God, and just shape this conversation, this one-way conversation to the listeners, Lord, I pray that you do a work. God, let my story that I'm about to share um, shed some light on some untruths and some and some uh, whispers of the enemy. God, I pray that it reaches the people that it's supposed to reach, God, and that you inspire and that you encourage and lift up anyone who's going through a time right now, God, a time of, of confusion, a time of despair, a time of being lost. God, I say all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So, if you're listening, uh, thank you. (laughs) This is going to be my final episode for Season 1. The Lord has communicated to me about uh, taking a time of rest to refocus and refresh. And for what I'm hearing, I'm supposed to take a break until the fall. So this is my final one for this go-around. And again, I appreciate everybody who listens. And for all the feedback that I've received, I, I really appreciate it. I realized when I was planning this episode, again, I pray and God communicates to me in different ways, and I I realized that I never shared my story. I never talked about who I was and how I arrived at this place, and, um, you know, I just figured now is the time. The Lord said, go ahead and do it, and end with a bang. So here we are. I'll just begin by saying that my story is a 37-year—actually now, 40-year— uh, tale that has many twists and turns and <laughs> ups and downs, uh, but I will try to be as brief as I can without cutting out the parts I feel like God wants me to share. Uh, I was changed by one single experience, uh, which I'll build up to in a moment, but several experiences prior to that shaped and set the table for that one experience. Everything that, I, everything that the Lord brought me through culminated into one no question, God is here in front of me moment. And it changed me. That one moment changed me. So let's get into it. To begin with my childhood, um, I was raised uh, in a split home. My parents divorced before I was two. And so I was raised by a family that talked about God and that spoke about the belief in God. And I believe it was a a family situation that's not un, totally uncommon today, where there isn't any Bible reading, there isn't any church going, but there's this sense of okay, we believe in God and we're good, like we're safe, and that is what sums up my experience with God as a young as a young man. Um, my father's parents were active church going folk. Uh, my father was not, neither were his siblings that I'm aware of. Uh, but I do remember as a child praying at night. I do remember praying to God. Um, and, and, and asking him to keep me safe and to um, just watch over me. And, and it wasn't, you know, a child's prayers are not too in-depth. But again, there was no foundation. I didn't really know who Jesus was. I knew the name. Uh, I had no idea about what an apostle was or what the Ten Commandments were or anything like that. But uh, I lived a good life, you know, and, and moving on to my young adult life, I just got this belief that, You know, I was going to go to heaven because I was a good person. You know that if, as long as I didn't rob, murder, rape, and pillage, that everything was going to be fine, and that you know I would just get ushered in. I was, oh, I'm going to get married. I'll be faithful to my wife. I'll have some kids. I won't kill anybody. I won't rob a bank, and that should be good, right? God, God knows who he made. Like that was my attitude. You know, going up, uh, growing up as a young man, I just felt that church, going to church, uh, wasn't required. And I felt that reading the Bible wasn't required because there's a lot of things in the Bible that I didn't agree with. Uh, my logical mind, the you know, Adam and Eve didn't make sense, Noah's Ark didn't make sense, uh, you know, things like that just didn't register with me, you know, so which transitioned me into my late teens, early 20s where I was completely lost. You know, for a while I thought I was an atheist, I just thought there was no God, but then— after a couple of deep conversations, uh, I realized at that moment that I was agnostic, that I, I believed in a God or a higher power, but nothing else was true to me. I felt like, okay, somebody had to put all this here, but uh, the idea of Jesus was still not something I accepted. I recognized and I would admit that Jesus was a real man, and I, and I, I my theory was either A, he was a fraud, or B, he died— believing he was who he was, but I just felt like he was wrong. Um, and so, you know, I was just lost for a long, long time. And this was what the enemy does, right? The enemy the enemy lies to us. He takes us and he deceives the truth. He takes where we are because he knows us, and he knows the Bible too. And he knows how to twist our minds and make these little lies so believable that they become our reality, He's the author of lies. That's how he speaks. As it says in John 8, verse 44, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is the liar and the father of it. What it's communicating there is the devil doesn't know how to do anything else but deceive and trick, and that's what he had. He had me because I didn't have a foundation as a child. I didn't have the Bible. I didn't have church, and again, that's no knock to my parents. They were just doing the best that they knew how. They pro- they weren't raised in a church, so... It's not their fault. It's mom, dad, if you're listening, I don't blame you. I love you. Um, they were just doing the best that they knew how, and so therefore I had no foundation. And when so when I was going through these moments of confusion and um, these lies were being told to me by the enemy, and they come as whispers, and that's the thing too. They come as he sounds like you in your own head. Like So when you get these thoughts... And it sounds like you, it's not you, it's, he, it's him whispering to you. And so that's where I was, right? And he just lies, lies, and lies, and lies. And there's a couple of things that God led me to here. Um, there's some lies of the enemy that I really wanted to write down and speak, speak to you on. So if you're listening, here's some ways that the enemy will lie to you. Uh, number one, he'll say to you, you can't trust God. You have to do things yourself. When we're faced with a problem, is your first thought, how do i fix this or is your first thought lord i need your help because satan loves it when we trust our own strengths and our own abilities not in the lord because if if we're truly submitted to god he's going to pull us through anything we become powerful when we become powerful in the holy spirit we become a threat to the enemy so the enemy loves to help us lean on our own strength on our own narcissism on our own abilities because he doesn't want us to to reach out to God, because again, God loves to put us in situations where only He can come through. Only He is is the one that can save us. And so, when we try to do things on our own and our own strength, we get end up getting frustrated and and more distant from God, and this is exactly what the enemy wants. In Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12, it says, putting on your armor of God, the whole armor of God. So we have to make sure that every day, in order to fight the enemy, we're putting on our complete armor armor of God, and we're, we're going to defend against his lies and his tricks and his deception and just submit ourselves completely. So Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12, read like this. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. This is spiritual warfare, everybody. What you think is depression or anxiety or uh, financial struggles or relationship problems may look like things manifesting in the natural because they are, but they start in the spiritual. And this is a spiritual battle. Every day we wake up and we go out in the world, we are fighting a spiritual battle, and there's no way you're going to succeed without God. And there's no way you're going to succeed in Him without putting on your whole armor. So you have to be in prayer. You have to be in submission to His Word, which means reading the Bible, and you have to walk it out. Another lie that the enemy will tell you is, you can be passive with sin because it's really no big deal. It's easy to forget again that we're in a war, and we can consequently be passive or permissive about the weapons of the enemy. And again, the weapon of the enemy is sin. If we allow slight cracks in our in our armor, and if we allow open doors to sin, and, and I'm going to give you a prime example with me. I struggled with alcohol, and there was a time when I thought I could quit, and I told myself I was going to quit, and I had it in my house. I said, I have power over this. I won't touch it. I'm going to take a break from it. That was an open door. If I'm going to quit drinking, I have to remove it from my house. That's the thing. We have to be able to close the doors. The enemy loves open doors because if we open doors, he'll slide in eventually in a moment of weakness, and he'll get us in. If if for you it's an addiction to pornography— you know, get rid of the laptop or give all your passwords to somebody else and have them reset it. I don't know. If, if if it's gambling, then turn your finances over to your spouse. If it's drinking like me, then get rid of everything in your house and don't go back to the liquor store. If if it's hanging out with your friends at a bar, don't hang out with them at a bar. Hang out with them somewhere else in a neutral territory. Or just stop hanging out with those friends. It's difficult, I understand, but don't let passive sin change what god has planned for you saying to yourself oh it's no big deal i have power over this look it goes back to the first point i can do this on my own i have power over this you don't i don't need god for this i have this power that goes back to point one it's a lie from the enemy and it's trying he's trying to trick you into thinking that oh it's no big deal it is a big deal please don't let that lie get to you the slightest open door is all the enemy needs to get in we are called to freedom in the forgiveness of christ but we must fight to use that freedom for the glory of the lord in galatians five thirteen, it says for you brethren have been called to liberty only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh but through love serve one another we've been called to freedom we've been called to freedom the freedom lies within trusting in the Lord and closing the door to sin. A third lie of the enemy you have to earn grace. There's a sense of unworthiness that some people feel. It's Oh, I don't deserve this. I, oh god, when he looks at my life, he's going to Oh, I'm, I'm, I I I'm not worthy of heaven. I have to do something. I, I have to make up for it. I'm going to go to church and tithe $10,000 or I'm going to I'm going to give my car and my house to the church and maybe then be, uh, God will, will favor me. You can't buy your way into heaven, okay? <laughs> Satan loves for us to be busy. And if we buy into the lie that we have to earn our grace, we usually end up in a lifestyle of stress and busyness. So if you're so caught up in deeds and actions in order to earn favor with God and earn your way into heaven, the enemy loves that because there's, we're never going to fill that void. We're always He's always going to whisper more and more to us like you're dirty, you're low, nothing you're doing is mattering and we're just going to f- grow further and further and further away from God because we're, again, we're acting on our own flesh, on our own power and we're not trusting in him. When we do this, lifestyle of stress and busyness, that's a chronos mindset that I spoke of a few weeks ago. If we're focused on earning what we've already been given, we won't have time to focus on our relationship with Christ. In Luke 10, verses 38 through 42, we're shown an example of this with Mary and Martha. Uh, Jesus comes over to their house, and it says here in verse 38, "...now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house." Again, that hymn is Jesus. And she and her sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. In verse 41. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. So what Jesus is telling her is don't busy yourself with these things that are meaningless. His presence, his word, his instruction and submitting to him is more important than anything we can do. Any job, any activity, any hobby. Our obedience to the Father is the most important job we have. And we must be busy in his work for our lives, not what, what we call productivity. Remember, we can't, air quotes here, we can't buy our way into heaven with money and deeds. Our actions should be a direct result of our worship. We should be doing things out of thankfulness with a, with a, a loving heart that's in alignment with his word. We shouldn't be doing things to earn favor. That favor's already been earned. The price has been paid. Jesus died and shed his blood for us. It's already been paid. We just have to accept that gift by accepting him as our Lord and Savior and then walking out his commandments in our life. The fourth and last lie that the enemy will tell you. And this is what haunted me for a long time. That's why I saved it for last. Your past defines you. That's such a big lie. And that is such a trigger for a downfall. A lot of us have walked paths that we're not proud of. We've made mistakes. We've hurt others. We've hurt ourselves. We've hurt people we loved especially. And it's tough. It's tough to move on. But I'm telling you right now, If you truly have repented, if you've truly given it to God with a humble heart and you've asked for forgiveness and you've changed your ways and you've changed your behaviors, you are forgiven. Your past does not define you. Your past becomes a testimony. It does not become who you are. It is not something you're going to be the rest of your life. That's why I have an issue with these 12-step programs like the Alcoholics Anonymous where they say, you know you're always an alcoholic. For the rest of your life, you're an alcoholic. Well, no, I disagree with that. I'm sorry. I believe that if they conquer the addiction and they move forward with their life, I'm not an alcoholic because I've given that up. There was a period in my life where I would consider myself a functioning alcoholic, but that doesn't define who I am. That's a step in my life that I've moved past. Don't let your, you're not a drug addict. You're not whatever, whatever label that the enemy is trying to slap on you to hold you down, to remind you of of what mistake you've made. I'm telling you right now in the mighty name of Jesus, you're free of that. You are free of that. I'm breaking that chain. I'm closing that door. You are not that label. You are a child of God and you are free of that. Walk in liberty, God is saying if you repent and you come to him with that, you lay it at his feet and you burn it at the altar, he will take that from you and it will not hold you down anymore. That chain is broken in the mighty name of Jesus. God, I pray that over somebody right now. Our identity can cripple us or it can empower us. If you let your past circumstances define you, you are crippling yourself and you're allowing the enemy to strip you of the amazing things that God has planned for you. Remember, the only one to ever walk this earth without sin was Jesus. We should all strive to be like him in our works and words, but do not let the enemy twist the truth about who you are in his kingdom and do not compare yourself to him. You should look at his likeness as a beacon, as an example, but we will all fall short of Jesus. I'm telling you right now, we will all fall short of that example. There's only one God. So please don't let comparisons rule you in any aspect of your life, whether it comes to finances or careers and especially your spirituality. Don't let favor and blessing upon people of your congregation or people in your life shake you. That's where the enemy tries to come through. Once again, those open doors. Comparisons are a lie of the enemy. Let that go. Let it go. Comparisons are not of God. However, if instead you define yourself by the fact that Christ died for you and now lives in you, like it says in Galatians 2.20, then there is no end to the amazing things God can do through you. Again, Galatians 2:20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which now I live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm going to read that again because there's power in those words and I'm praying that over any listener right now that's being deceived by the enemy. I have been crucified. Say it with me. Repeat after me. I'll pause. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Repeat those words. Let those words saturate over you. Beware of idols. Another part of my story, idol worship, I'm here to tell you whatever you put before God is an idol. Whatever you do before God is an idol. Whether it's your job, your spouse, your kids, sports, video games, drinking, whatever. Anything that gets in the way of your time with the Lord that you choose over God is an idol. I struggled with that. I had many idols in my life, many. Uh, Alcohol was one, as I've stated before. Girls, I'll leave it at that. I'll let you guys fill in the blanks there. Uh, I experimented with some other things in my life as well. You know, hanging out, partying, making money. I'll leave that there as well. You guys can fill in the blanks on that one. But there were many things in my life that took precedent. Over God. Because again, there was no foundation there for me. I didn't know how to worship God. I didn't put him as a priority because he wasn't shown to me as a priority. But I'm telling you now that those habits carried over into my adult life. Even when I was a young married man, I put my wife, I put my job, I put sports again, I put drinking, all these things before God because again, there was no foundation. So it was easy to worship idols because there was, it wasn't like I was choosing them over God, but I was worshiping them instead of worshiping God. What are the first three things you do when you wake up in the morning? And what are the last three things you do before you go to bed? Is prayer in there? Is reading the Bible in there? I hope so. Are you seeking His guidance and are you waiting on an answer? If the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning is have a cup of coffee, watch the news, take a shower, get dressed, and then maybe, just maybe, if you have an extra five minutes Maybe read a quick verse of the day or spend two minutes in prayer. You got it wrong. I challenge you for the next 21 days, wake up, pray. Pray for your family. Pray for this country. Pray for the world. Pray for your enemies. Pray for those who hurt you. Pray for yourself. Ask God to show you what his plan is for you and wait for an answer. And if he leads you to scripture, Don't just read that verse. I want you to read the five verses above it and the five verses below it at minimum. If not, read the whole chapter. Get things in context. Ask God what he's trying to communicate to you through these scriptures. And then have your coffee. And then have your shower. And then have your workout. And see if your days don't change. See if your spirit doesn't feel more free than it ever has. That's a challenge. In Colossians 3, verses 1 through 7, it reads, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication uncleanliness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. That was me. I walked in all those things. But he's telling us right here, seek those things which are above. And we will be raised with Christ when we will appear with him in his glory. But we have to put away these other things. We have to get our priorities straight. And we have to look to him. The turnaround in my life began in late 2016, early 2017. Uh, my wife and I were going to a church at that time. My wife uh, was raised Catholic. She sought out a stronger relationship with the Lord. and So she walked away from Catholicism. And she found a church here, and uh, she actually encountered the Holy Spirit through prayer. And from that moment on, she was lit on fire, and uh, the Lord spoke to her. But she was raised in a foundation where God was present. So for her, going to church every Sunday was normal. And, you know, when I was in my uh, pig this, my lost period— uh, I told her I wasn't going to church. I would only go on a rare occasion uh, if I felt guilty enough because she was going by herself. But I told her, too, that if I go, I'm just going to go to sit next to you. Don't ask me to pray. Don't ask me to get up and talk and raise my hand. I did not none of that. I'll sit just to keep you company, just so you don't cry when you come home. And that's where I was. Um, for years, we went to this church, and we, I sat next to her. And I didn't mind going. Uh, I thought the pastor was charismatic. He spoke very well, and he did a fantastic job of applying Scripture to daily life and and living principles. Uh, The people of the church, the congregation, were super welcoming and nice. So when she asked me to go to church with her, I didn't mind going because it was a social event. I'm a social guy, so I loved having conversations with people. And one day, uh, my son and I were walking into a grocery store. And uh, actually, we were walking out of the grocery store. And my, a friend of mine who goes to that church was walking in with his son. And um, this was a Thursday afternoon, I believe, Thursday or Friday. And he asked me, he says, hey, bud, you coming to church Sunday? I said, absolutely. And he said, hey, um, I'm starting a small group. We're going to read this book called Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. And I said, yeah, sure, man, I'll join that group. I teach high school English, so I love to read. And, I, and I, it was one of those moments where I, I meant it. I wasn't lying to him. Like when you said, oh, you jumped." I'm like, yeah, sure. But I, in the back of my mind, the enemy, I know now is the enemy, was whispering, you're not going to join that group. <laughs> and so my son and I went on our way. We get home. Uh, fast forward, it's Saturday night. All of a sudden, either my son or my daughter, one of the two, started running a fever And um, so Sunday morning rolled around. We decided not to bring the kids to church. So my wife went to church solo. I stayed home with the kids. That night at about 7 o'clock, my friend texts me. And he says, hey, bud, missed you at church today. By the way, here's the link to that small group I told you about. And I know now this was the Holy Spirit. I remember looking at that text. And this is normally a text I would look at, ignore, and then acknowledge when it's too late. Some of you may understand what I mean by that. So, like, if it's a time-sensitive thing, like, can you sign up for this? And if you don't want to do it, you'll just pretend to not get it. And then after the sign-up period is over, you can say, oh, darn, golly gee heck, I guess I missed out on that. Maybe next time. Well, when this text came through, here's the link. The Holy Spirit just, it's almost like watching a movie. Like, I watched my hand, click the link, I watched my fingers type in my name, and hit sign up. And then I texted him back, done, I'm signed up. And he says, cool, I'm going to order the book for you. Just bring $7 to our first meeting and I'll shoot you the book. No problem. And I remember saying to my wife, what just happened? <laughs> I was like, I, oh my goodness. I showed up to the group and it was about seven of us uh, men ranging in from my age at the time. I was in my um, mid to late 30s. Uh, the youngest person in the group was probably 22, 23, and, they went, and the ages went up from there uh, until gentlemen in their 40s. Uh, I, I don't want to put anybody out on the limb there because if they're listening, I don't want to make them mad. <laughs> I don't know their exact ages, but they were a little bit older than me, but not much. But anyway, the point of it is they all had different walks. They had different experiences and testimonies. Some grew up in the church. Some were atheists. Some um, just stumbled upon christ and that book john eldridge if you're listening thank you sir praise god for you and that small group the wild at heart men's group of my church I thank god for you uh you woke me up and you know hearing the hearing their experiences and reading that book god started talking to me and i didn't know it was him at first but i just started feeling differently and seeing things differently and my habits started to change my words started to change it was like a whole shift, and I can't explain to you what it was. It was—it wasn't a, a conscious decision. It was—it was—it was, it was, it was just—it just came out of me. It was just the new me, and it was—I was slowly starting to emerge. But mind, mind you, during that time, my wife and I were experiencing some marital issues. Like we were a house divided. Uh, on the on on the outside, on the surface, we, by all intents and purposes, if you looked at our life through social media and when we were together in public around friends and coworkers. We had a great marriage, right? We got along, we laughed, we had, good, we had good kids, and, you know, people thought that things were great, but behind closed doors, uh, we, you know, we were oftentimes not sleeping in the same bed. We were, you know, um, not communicating, not talking. We were shutting down. We were arguing a lot. Um, again, drinking was a factor. Her submission to Christ and my lack thereof was a factor, amongst other things. But, you know, this men's group found me at that time. And, you know, there's a chapter in there about, about how to treat our wives and about what women need. And there's, a, there's actually a book that John Eldridge wrote with his wife, which is considered to be the female version of Wild at Heart. And it's, it's called Captivating. And so what a lot of people recommend is the husbands read Wild at Heart, the women's read Captivating. And then you switch. We never did that. We never made that step. But my wife's read Captivating Sense a couple of times, actually. I've read "Wild of Heart now two or three times. Anyway, the, the point is, God found me at the most critical point in our marriage. We really hit rock bottom. And uh, we were really hanging on by a hair's width. Like, it was less than a thread. It was bad. And so I just praise God for finding me in that moment. Thank you, Jesus. I came home after men's group one night after reading that chapter on, on on John Eldridge's excerpt on how we should treat our wives and what they're looking for, and I I just came with a humble heart. I, I, I the Lord allowed me uh, grace and mercy, and I just walked into our, our kitchen or our dining room. I found her at the dinner table and I just apologized and I Started making steps to cleaning up some aspects of my life, beginning with the drinking. After talking with her that night, there was a breakthrough. We both cried and hugged, and things were looking good. And then a day or two later, here's the experience. This is the this is the one I've been uh, teasing about since the opening. This is the moment where God showed up. I was in the shower, and all of a sudden, this wave, this rush of energy just came over me out of nowhere. And I just felt a tingling sensation from my head to my toes. And I heard this voice in my head that sounded like me, but I knew it wasn't me in that moment. And it was just this, you should quit drinking for the summer. And I was like, I should quit drinking for the summer. (laughs) And it was just like this whole like experience that I can't articulate correctly. It was just this, this commanding, peaceful, authoritative voice. And my whole body just responded to it. It was euphoric. I mean, it was just, I was just standing there about to wash my hair and all of a sudden like shampoo in my hands and all, all my head. And I just heard this voice. And um, from there, a snowball of events, I quit drinking. I promised my wife I wouldn't bring it home anymore, which turned into me not doing it anymore. And um, God found me. God found me. He came to me and spoke to me in that moment, um, this, this imperfect, lost individual. And it's been it's been an adventure since then. After that, I committed my life to Jesus. Uh, a few months later, I was baptized. Um, and after the baptism, I struggled with some things. Like a lot of people, they figure when they get dunked in water that you're done, you're good. It's not true. It's a continual journey. There are people that have been in the Bible for 65 years and are still learning things. We always have to be humble in ourselves to know that we don't know everything and we need to continue to pursue the Lord. And so I'm, I had some stumbling blocks after my baptism, and it messed with me for a little bit. The enemy tried to sneak in and rattle me, but I learned that now that I was a new creation in Christ, I knew how to repent and move forward and so I'm telling you now, if you've been baptized, or if you've given your life to Christ and you've strayed a little bit like the prodigal son, guess what? If you come back to the Father, He will treat you like that Father. He will wrap you in, your, in a robe. He will put His rings on you and kiss you and bless you, and He will give you a feast. I'm telling you now, it's never too late. No matter how far you've strayed, come back to the Father. You must get your life in alignment. Come back. Align the way you live your life with the words that you're reading in the Bible. Align your life to what God has commanded us to do. The Bible speaks of this in James 2, verses 14 through 17, and then I also added in verse 26 at the end. So James 2, 14 through 17, and also verse 26. Faith without works is dead. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled. But you do not give them the things which are needed for the body? What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Again, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. 26. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Essentially what the Bible is telling us right there is, you gotta walk the walk. You can't just talk it, you gotta walk it. And if you're not going out and praying, if you're not going out and speaking the words of God, and you're not blessing other people through whatever spiritual gift you've been given, you're showing faith without works. What what the Bible is communicating here in James 2 is that one cannot complete any works in the kingdom of God until he or she has given their life over to him. Why do we submit all that we have? To humbly follow Jesus? because of his sacrifice for us. If you are a new believer or even a seasoned vet, it's time to realize just what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. This act, Jesus' sacrifice, is the most pristine, perfect example of God's love for us. We must always remember that. He did it out of salvation for us. And we must do all that we can while we're here in the kingdom of God, to walk out in authority what he's commanded over our lives and commit the works and acts that he has commissioned us with. If you've gone astray, if you've been baptized, if you've never submitted to your life to Jesus, all three are the same in the eyes of God. If you have faith without works or if you have no faith at all, you must submit your life and walk out his calling in your life. I'm going to close with probably the most impactful piece of Scripture that. I believe, sums up my experience, and maybe even the experiences of some of you. Whether you happen across Jesus, like I did, or if you've been looking for a meaning in your life by seeking him out, the lesson is the same. Jesus is here. He's with you right now, back then, and in the future. He moves in his time, not ours, and he does hear our prayers. Think about it. My wife prayed for years for me to hear the Father's call. We were married for almost 10 years of her praying and me living my life. And he answered her call. But in his timing, God is telling me right now to who, to tell and speak over whoever's listening right now. Keep praying. Stay diligent and steadfast. He shall not forsake you. If it's if it's for a family member, keep praying. For a friend, keep praying. A co-worker, whoever, keep praying praying and let God do what he does. We forget sometimes that we cannot change a person, no matter how hard we try. Our words, our actions, all of it can do nothing without the working of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Only he and he alone can truly change a person. And maybe, just maybe, you are that person that somebody's praying for right now. Maybe someone sent you a link to this podcast and you're listening And they sent you this to help open your ears to hear through my testimony and through Scripture what God wants for you, what God has in store for you, how much Jesus loves you. And I praise God for that, if that's happening. I'm I'm praising God for you right now. Allow me to remind you that you are valuable in the kingdom of God. Any lie the enemy is telling you right now about how insufficient you are is a lie It's deception. You are valuable in the kingdom of God. He sold all he had for you. His most precious, valuable item, his son, Jesus. He did it for you, for me, for everyone, even those who deny him and mock him, everyone. He did it for the righteous and the sinners. He loves you. If you're finding yourself right now in a rough patch, Do not believe the enemy. Do not believe the lie that God has forsaken me. Don't believe that. God never forsakes you. Understand that in these times, especially here in America, he's trying to teach us something, he being God. Ask him. Ask him what he's trying to teach you in your prayers. And be patient enough to let him answer. Remember, God is not Alexa. He does not move immediately, and when you say so, You must be patient enough to hear his response and await on his answer. This requires two things of us, trust and faith. You must have one to have the other. If you lack one, you'll be impaired in the other. In Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34, God is telling us not to worry. In this climate in our country right now with um, the racial divisions going on, with election coming up and COVID-19 and... All these things that are happening in the world and in our country, God is reminding us that He is in control, and He's reaching out to us through Matthew 6:25 through 34 Do not worry. Verse 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to this stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven— will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. And my favorite part, verse 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Verse 33, Matthew 6:33 is hands down my favorite verse in the Bible. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. If you seek first God in the morning before your coffee, if you seek first God before you get into that Twitter battle or that Facebook battle with somebody about their political affiliations, if you seek God first uh, when you have a spat with your wife or your best friend or your sister or your brother, if you seek God first about your financial troubles or about any struggles with any addictions or idol worship, He will set you straight and all the blessing, all the good things that He has to offer shall be added on to you. His righteousness is contagious. His forgiveness is eternal. But you have to make the first step. Right now, I just want to invite anyone who's listening who has yet to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior into their hearts. I want to right now invite you in. I want to give you this opportunity. If you're listening to this podcast, I want you to repeat after me wherever you're at. uh, Whether you're in the gym, if you're in your car, if you're at home, I want you to repeat after me. If you've never accepted Christ in your life and you're ready now, if God is talking to you now, if you've been sent this podcast and anything that I've said has resonated, please, this is your moment. God is talking to you through me right now. It's time to let go of your past, let go of the lies of the enemy, and step forward with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Repeat, Jesus, Father, I give my life to you. My heart is yours. My life is yours. I submit myself to you, Lord. Please, God. Show me the way. Show me the path to your righteousness. God, allow me the strength to go away from these lies. God, I, I, I wish to submit everything I have and everything that I can do to you and to your kingdom. Jesus, wash me in your blood. Wash me clean. I declare that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of my life. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. If you're listening to this, and you've already submitted your life to Christ, and you've strayed, God is telling you right now, It's time to come back into the fold. It's time to come home. It's time to step and walk in purpose and in confidence, upright in his calling in your life. Seek him in prayer, in worship. Seek him and wait for an answer. Father God, once again, Lord, I'm just so appreciative of all that you're doing in my life and the lives of the listeners and for those out there that aren't listening. God, I pray that this podcast reaches those who... Needs it the most in your time. God, I just love you. I worship you. God, I also pray over the listeners, new and old in the faith. God, I pray that you ignite them. God, that you just light a fire in them, God, to pursue you more. I pray a hedge of protection around this nation, around this world. God, I pray that you protect and guide all of our leadership, our world leadership, our national leadership, our state leadership, God. I pray that your wisdom prevails in their words, thoughts, and actions. Lord, we just trust you with everything. We pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Once again, I thank you. I thank you for listening. I appreciate all the support. All glory be to God. If you have any comments, questions, you may reach me at walkinginthelightpodcast3 at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram, uh, as well as Facebook. So please feel free to message me if you, uh, if you need prayer or anything of that nature. Again, this is my last episode for a couple of months. So all my light walkers out there, I appreciate you. And I will see you guys again in September. Remember, where there's light, darkness cannot exist. God bless you all.